Bruce uses my AS Color account to buy his own shirt. Oh, and no, I'm no, rat- no. I, I got my own now. I'm ratting him out. Lawrence Rilton, uh, founder of AS Color. This is a special episode. So first of all, thank you for joining us, which is um, really kind with your time. And then uh, it's special because I don't think this story has been told. At least I couldn't find it. And uh, there was there's a lot in, I think, how AS Color has tackled the market and is still growing. And we've got a lot of shops that listen to this podcast, too, that may not have heard of it or maybe ultra fans. But I'd like to dive into as much as we can about this and get into nitty gritties because I think scaling something like a wholesale, you know, slash retail blank provider is fascinating. All right. So Lawrence, so first let's kick this off as to where did AS Colors come from? What is AS Colors stand for? Like how did the name come about? And who was the Lego guy in the back? Because I didn't see that before. Uh-huh. I just thought it'd make my, my photo a bit more interesting with a little Lego guy. <laughs> I had a fax machine there. I'm in an old uh, printing machine, a big printer, but I got rid of that. It looked a bit boring. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. That's right. I'd spruce it up a bit, make it a bit more interesting. You know, so AS Color goes back to 2005. I think I was just turned 30. My background was in the action sports industry, working for companies like DC Shoes, Ethnics, Nixon Watches, um, Smith Sport Optics. So I kind of had a background in the surf skate industry, working for companies out of Orange County. And then basically... A friend of mine was in a band and I realized there was a real gap in New Zealand for good quality T-shirts. You could There was Gildan and there was some local manufacturers and that was really all there was. Um, so through my contacts, through working for DC Shoes, I saw All Style Apparel. And so I decided to research that, talk to heaps of screen printers, clothing brands, um, friends in the music industry. And so we started bringing in the AAA 1301 by All Style Apparel. And so I leased this little little garage kind of warehouse under a bar. Um, I learned very quickly, don't have a warehouse under a bar. That's not a good idea. People get drunk, do stupid stuff. I remember one coming to work one day and the dude smashed bottles in the urinal above, up the top and um, there was urine dripping all on the through the through the warehouse roof. So that was an early learning lesson. Don't have anyone above you. That's your, disgusting. That was our first warehouse. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that's the background of when it started. So 2005. And just a gap in the market that I saw in New Zealand that we needed. Everyone was fighting over the price point into the market, and they kind of treated T-shirts like a commodity. Um, they didn't really change their range much. It was pretty boring. It was just, um, you know, they might release two new colors a year, and that wasn't that exciting. Coming from the surf skate industry where you always got new products, you know, heavily driven by marketing, and it's an exciting industry. I thought this industry needed something like that applied to it, so – um, did my research and I brought 20,000 t-shirts and I remember freaking out at night, you know, in the first month when I started, I needed to sell 500 t-shirts a day to pay the bills. Um, and I was going, sheesh, that's a lot of t-shirts. Um, now we probably ship that every minute or something like that, but, um, it was a scary number to think of it back at those days. So Lawrence, uh, you know, we talk a lot about like, um, like getting champion customers or your first thousand customers or, you know, finding, finding those first groups. How did you, when you just decided I'm going to order 20,000 shirts and then I'm going to start selling them. Did you have (laughs) some demand planning? Uh, uh, Looking back, I was very partially mad actually. And I'm quite grateful. I didn't go, um, go out of business. Um, I think I had some contacts in the surf skate industry in New Zealand and I managed to get a few clothing brands on board I managed to get a few kind of – there were some screen printers that kind of recognized the higher quality and they kind of after all-style apparel. They're looking for something a bit more different than the than the Gildan. All there was really was Gildan and a couple of local manufacturers that were pretty poorly made out of China. Um, but, yeah, it was a yeah, it was a ballsy move. I remember my bank manager talking – I put I leveraged against my house and borrowed some money there. And I remember going to the bank manager, this is my idea. I'm going to sell T-shirts with nothing on them. And uh, it's not the most earth-shattering idea. I think he kind of looked at me that if this guy goes under, I can sell his house and probably get my money back. So he lent me the $200,000 I needed to get the the business started, and I invested that into the T-shirts. And then we just started picking up a few customers. We'd we'd be excited if like five or six orders were going out that day or the phone was ringing. It was was, was exciting times. It was awesome, you know, know, starting this business from nothing 
Um, it was me and my brother-in-law. We'd pack the orders together, and I was still still repping. My my old boss let me. He let me keep my commission repping got job going in the background, so I had a bit of income coming in from that to get it going. But um, I think after I bought the twenty thousand t-shirts, I was pretty committed. I had to make this work, otherwise I was going to lose. You know, there was no turning back really. And and if anyone's gotten an AS color shirt, they know immediately. Um the quality of it is obviously like superior. I don't think there's anything quite like it in the industry. How did you attack that? Did you, did you know certain mills that could sew for you a certain way? Like how did you really, cause your product is uniquely different than a lot of other, 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 you know, apparel manufacturers. How early on were you really refining it? What was that like in the early days? Uh, so the first AS color product really came about, um, we needed a good woman's t-shirt to go with the all style apparel t-shirt. So, um, we started making our own woman's t-shirt and that was the very first AS color product. Um, originally the company was called apparel studio. That's what the AS stands for. Mm-hmm. And e-commerce mm-hmm. was just starting. And I realized we needed a shorter name. So I just abbreviated it and no one could spell the word apparel. Apparel was a weird kind of word. It's got two P's, two R's and e-commerce was just starting in 2005. So you wanted a shorter domain name. So I abbreviated to AS color I think we trialed with AS Cotton for a little while and then color we thought is more, we can use that for all sorts of things. It's a bit more, um, most people can spell it as well. So it was pretty easy, except we've got the funny English version of the U in there. Yeah, I was um, going to say, if there's a U or not, but you got both domains now. So It makes it a bit more, I've had a few Americans tell me it, it, it looks foreign. <laughs> so that's Yeah, kinda, so so yeah. was were they being manufactured in LA or were you making them in New Zealand? Uh, so we were bringing in t-shirts from All Style Apparel and then we started making our own t-shirts out of China and that was my first um, – because New Zealand, had a, we have a free trade agreement with China, so it was, it, a lot of manufacturing was coming from China. Um, and so at, at this time, we were just supplying New Zealand and a couple of customers in Australia. U.S. is seven, ten years away from this position. Gotcha. So tell us – okay, differentiate between All Style and AS Color. What's the relationship there between All Style? So when I first started, I didn't know anything about T-shirts, but I just started bringing T-shirts in as a distributor basically – and then gotcha. all style, and then AS Color evolved out of that. So after about three, four years later, we stopped selling all style apparel, and it was just all AS Color. And then it was an evolution of refining the products we built um, and investing in really high quality yarn. That's the key. And I, I identified really early on that all these companies were fighting down in the bottom, and I can't compete against these big corporations. These are big billion dollar companies. How can a little company in New Zealand compete against a Gildan or a you know, um, a Bella Canvas or Next Level, you know, these are big, big businesses. And so I identified that I wanted to uh, go after the premium part of the market. And that's what I was interested in as well. I didn't want to make a shitty T-shirt. I was making T-shirts that I wanted to wear and that my staff wanted to wear. And all of our products kind of come out of, you know, all the staff in the office and their feedback and working together as a team to develop what we like. And it just happens that other people seem to like that as well. And that's a cool thing. Hey, real quick, we're going to jump back into this episode in one second, but four amazing sponsors that are helping put the show on every single week. So I wanted to say thank you to them and talk a little bit about them. I promise you it'll take just a couple of minutes. First, super color. All right. So if you think about this, if you want to print high color count designs, uh, things with gradients, hard to print locations, sleeves, uh, tags, a bunch more, super color is a really great vendor that you can be able to do and that will make heat transfer for you. Now, here's something else though. Supercolor has this really cool new guide to be able to help you with this in the heat transfer world. And it's got things like how to price, how to use transfers, um, what to buy for quality heat transfers. Check them out. It's supercolor.com slash print hustlers or click the link in the description and that's going to take you to the guide to download it. Give it a go. It's really, really cool. I downloaded it and read it. All right, next up, Multicraft. If you haven't heard of Multicraft Daddy, then you definitely need to check them out. If you need ink supplies or a daddy, Multicraft screen printing and digital supplies for over 50 years have been providing you with top brands at competitive pricing. And Printavo Pod, mention it. You get an extra 10% off your first order. Thank you, Multicraft Daddy. He is at, let's see, how many followers? Uh, 497, almost at 500. Holy crap. All right. Throw him a follow. He's awesome. Thanks, Dave. 
easy way. All right. So easy way. I know you guys have heard this quite a few times, but 701, 842, easy glide. Those are some of Campus Inc.'s favorite easy way chemicals to clean up dirty screens and get moving. Now, the thing is, is that easy way makes environmentally friendly chemicals to help with the reclaim process and make it run a lot more efficiently. So if you need and value really great how-tos, best practices, and just a partner to work with and be able to call, give EasyWay a try. Go to easyway.com. They've got over 100 distributors all over that you can be able to reach out to. They are awesome. Thank you, EasyWay. Last but not least, GraphX Source. We were just hanging out with them at Printing United and at Fort Worth. They are really great because they help plug into your production art workflow. Now, they've got a ton of different services. One of the big things that they plug into, especially with shops that use Printavo, is they will plug into your account. They will pull down work. They will get. They will upload digitized files, production files, and get your jobs all set up for production. So they can do SEPs, mock-ups, creative art, order management, digitizing, back office admin, customer service and all of that. And you can have a dedicated person to be able to help you with. So no retraining, you know, no hiring and letting people go. It's just so much easier. Check them out. Graph X source. Mention the Printavo pod. If you're 50% off your first SEP order could be vector SEP, uh, 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 vectorizing, sorry, vectorizing separations or digitizing. All right, let's go back into the show. You know, I'll say being the inspiration and then pivoting on into more of your brand and your cut and and fabric. When was that jump? When did you think you were ready for that jump? Like, was it, uh, that was always the goal or were you thinking, you know, let's just do this for a while. Then you happen to have, you know, wanted to, I was, there was not like some big master plan. Um, it was just really get the t-shirts in and then we quickly identified we needed to make our own t-shirts and then we, needed to make our own sweatshirts so we then added those in um at that time in 2005 everything was kind of a lighter weight t-shirt kind of like the american apparel was really strong back then so we brought in a t-shirt called the paper tee um which is a 150 gsm um t-shirt um and that was that was one of our first men's t-shirts and then basically the range kind of evolved from that and then about three or four years in the staple tee then came out and that's you know, that became quickly our top selling t-shirt at 180 GSM. How close were you to shops to get their feedback or was it to end consumers, right? Because you talk about really focusing on like the better quality and that's why you charged more, but was it going back and forth or was a lot of it just from you being in that uh, extreme sports area too in the skate and surf side and like, man, I I know exactly what can work. I just need to. Yeah, I think it was just personal preference. I just liked what we made, and it was kind of like I couldn't find a t shirt like that. And so I just wanted to make these certain t shirts. Like when we made the classic tee, I didn't even think anyone would buy that t shirt because I thought it was too expensive. It was like, but I just wanted a really high quality comb cotton t shirt. Um, And that's how that kind of evolved that product. And now is one of our top selling t shirts. and, but that was just a product I wanted to wear. And I, so I got my production department and worked with the designers and we, and we, and we made this T-shirt. And sometimes we'll take, you know, 12 to 18 months of sampling before we're happy with the block because once we invest in all the stock, especially now with the five warehouses across, you know, England, there'll be two in the United States and, and one in Australia, Melbourne, Australia, and one in Auckland, New Zealand, you know, it's a big capital investment to put a new colour in or especially a new T-shirt into the range. Lawrence, okay, we, me and Bruce talk about like pivotal moments in business. When did your business go from a small business to a big business? Like when was that? Maybe the year, what, how many people you had on your staff? Like when did it get very legit um, versus like you and your brother, you know, brother-in-law doing, doing it? Can you tell us about that? Uh, I suppose I still think it was a, my small t-shirt business. Like I still think of it like that. <laughs> um, it's obviously got bigger. To me, it still is that same company. It's just you know, there's just a bigger scale of volume of product going through it, but the fundamentals of the business are still the same. I suppose the big game changer was going into Australia because New Zealand's just tiny. We're five. New Zealand's a small country, only five million people. So Australia's right beside us. There's about 26, 28 million people in Australia. So we moved to Sydney and we set up a warehouse there. And I remember running out of black and white t-shirts in the first three months, and the Australians looked at us like, "What are you? 
what are your Kiwis up to coming here? And then you run out of black and white T-shirts. That's like useless. Um, but I think I think once we really crack the Australian market and we really, you know, that's probably in, probably going back to about 2012, 2013, and we really were scaling up and we're outgrowing warehouses very quickly. Um, we went through four warehouses in about space of about seven years because to keep up with the growth and the capacity and the range. How how did you like? How do you think you tapped into that? Was it marketing channels? Because obviously you got a super quality product, but how does how do people then in a new country become aware? I think once people wear the t shirt, they understand the quality. That's there's no clever marketing trick we had or secret recipe or formula. It's just my whole fundamentals being build a really good product and people will like it and they will tell their friends. And so the more products we sold, like we got a big. You know, as we sold more product, more people were wearing it, and then word of mouth just spread. And, and at first, a lot of the screen printers really didn't want to support support us because they they kind of had their established suppliers, and it was like, why do we need another supplier? And it wasn't really until their customers started bringing in AS Color products, and then they started printing on them and touching them and seeing how good they were to print on, did they really understand what we why there was a demand for our product? But was there other channels like, okay. Because you don't have distributors, right? We've had to become experts in distribution. Like, so we've, we've just invested in a big automation project for our New Zealand warehouse, which will roll into our Australian warehouse. We're building warehouses now at 18 metres high so we can store more bulk stock with less footprint. So we've become very, very good at distribution. We can ship orders within a few hours of receiving them in our systems. Yeah, I mean, like, was there any other chance? I, I know you guys do some trade shows and stuff, but like, was there any other, you know, online advertising or anything, or was it just purely word of mouth? People ask me, like, what was the success? And it's just the quality of the product. That's what we've got. I mean, mm. there's no tricky. I think if you give people a good product and a good service, and this probably goes to like screen printers, people will deal with you. But if you make life difficult for them, take don't get back to them, you know, it's just simple fundamentals of business. If you someone orders an order with us, we quick, we pack it quickly, accurately, and ship it out on time. Customers will repeat, and you deliver a good product. They will keep ordering from you. I'll, I'll go on record and say it is the crispiest, smoothest shirt ever. Um, it feels great when you hold it in your hands. Uh, you know, some would consider it like the, you know, the McDonald's Diet Coke, like super great. And and um, now. Why hasn't anyone else tried to knock you off? Lawrence, because Stephen loves Diet Coke. That's oh, I love Diet background. Coke. Yeah, so, I don't yeah. Know if that maybe, was maybe, that, up maybe that's an American joke. Uh, <laughs> but like McDonald's Diet Coke, super crispy, great. Nothing can compete with it. It's incredible. Gimme Wendy's Diet Coke does not compare, right? But McDonald's Diet Coke, there's something special about it. Uh, why hasn't Bella Canvas or why isn't Next Level like no one's come close? to a next level or to, to, to an AS color shirt. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just, you guys are complete thinking about things completely different? Like I haven't seen or felt something the same, uh, in my career in, in, in screen printing. I suppose they've kind of got their, their, their products and their fabrics kind of sorted what they want to do and to change their, you know, their, their setup is a big, big fundamental move. So where we can quickly adapt and move our fabrics around with our factories. So, but it's all, I suppose it's where you want to be. You know, they're big businesses. They're doing well what they're doing. That They don't need to necessarily change. But we're focused in on, a, on what we're doing. And I don't really pay much attention to what anyone else is doing. I just want to build really good products. And, and hopefully our customers like those products and want to keep purchasing them. Do you think that has something to do with you guys, like, going direct to customers? Like, the, the integrity of the, like, of the product? Well, the you don't even people have, are... Yeah, like... Yeah, we definitely got that feedback. We we found like we're we're the best people to represent our own product, not through some distributor. Like, so if you look at Gildan, for example, they don't, they have got no relationship with their screen printers. They're dealing through their big US distributors, and that's how they do business, and that's their business model. But we've got that constant feedback on colors, fabrics, materials. Um, our sales reps are constantly feeding into me and the production and design team about what they're requesting or new products or new designs. And so we, we build those products out pretty quickly and, and get them to the market based on the feedback. And I think the screen printers really appreciate having that relationship with, a, with our business. And I think that, you know, we're working, as a, we're working as a partnership with the printing industry to build products to help them 
do a better job of running their business because if they've got new products or there was a there was an interesting um, podcast I was listening to the other day, Stephen, of like when a company gets a separate sales team, they don't have the um, they don't get that natural feedback into the product, so product iteration slows a lot and. Um, it was talking basically about if you have one sales team for multiple different types of products, it was like the Adobe deal, like Adobe bought Figma, you know, this multi, this, this huge acquisition, um, in the creative space. But basically, uh, they were worried that Figma would lose its sales team because they get merged eventually with Adobe. But then Figma, the reason why they were so great and dominated the web design community is because they got such good feedback from their direct sales team being in house, um, which you know, to Lawrence, your point is like a huge advantage to, to, to the growth. Yeah. Like I'll ring our, our reps every, you know, every kind of month and have a chat to them and get feedback. Say what are people, what are customers asking about? What's, is there any new products we need to develop any problems with anything? What's the feedback? And they'll tell me what's happening, which is, you know, really great to see that and workers. It's still, we've still got that small business mentality. You know, we haven't turned into a, into a giant t-shirt company that's removed from its customer and its customer base. We're still, we're a small company in the U S compared to what we're competing against. So but, Lawrence, you guys are opening up a second warehouse in the States or you already have one. Uh, so we've got the one in California and then we're opening one in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's just, so it'll be ready by probably February 23. for shipping Sweet. Orders. Yeah. How, how do you feel? I've always want, I wanted to ask this, you know, a lot of screen printers tear out the labels and private label with someone else's brand. How does that make you feel when the AS color tag kind of like gets ripped out and someone else's brand gets we put actually, in there? We don't what? actually use tear out labels on most of our t-shirts. We're one of the, I think we're one of the only companies that don't on a few of our price point, our, a few products we have tear out labels, but we've still got a, a nylon based label that can't be torn out. Cause Who to me, it? there's the answer. I know <laughs> to me that's our only branding. That's our only piece of identity on the t-shirt. We don't have a logo on the front. So to drop the quality of that, like I like those paper t- labels, I see the benefit of why people want them. But because um, of our retail background and retail, we still want a night. We want a, a label that's going to last. I mean, those paper labels, they disintegrate after a few washes. And for me, that's our branding. So that label should be of the highest quality as well as our t-shirt, you know? So we, on certain products, we've started to release more tear out labels, but see in New Zealand and Australia, back neck printing is not popular. So I know in the U S it's a big, it's a big industry. And so, um, that's kind of the history. And cause we've got a, uh, a retail chain of about 25 stores in New Zealand and Australia. Um, we attached a swing tag to that label, a paper one would tear. So that's kind of some of the reasoning why we haven't done it on our high-end products. Have you thought about retailing in the United States? Uh, yes, come very close a few times, listing some stores. Um, but with COVID and things, we just put a hold on it. But we probably will, I'd say, four or five shops in the next two or three years across the U.S. Um, they, they work as really good showrooms and great marketing tools and great branding um, to communicate to customers that can discover us. Um, so we're been looking at different locations around the U.S. for that. Yeah, that's interesting to dive into the. I want to get into the retail, but I, I kind of want to like so you know we we we're at the twenty thousand shirt order, um, <laughs> yeah. and like that was over twenty two years or so. So so there's definitely some bigger points. Or like what, what what's like a couple crazy stories you've got right? Because I mean you know all these warehouses, I'm sure a large team now and everything. G- give us a sense of you know. I don't know if I think pivotal you know, points, the pivotal like, you know. point America because like America is the land of the t-shirt and New okay. Zealand's this tiny little country and you know the, um, down in the South Pacific um, and America is the biggest economy in the world and for a little company that started as a, in a little garage you know in New Zealand to be then setting up a warehouse in California and I remember going to IS, I'd go to ISS every year in Long Beach and and I was like the U.S. market just seems so price-driven. They just seem so conscious on price, price, price. And I'm like, will they even be interested in our product? And so it was a real – that was probably one of my biggest risks was um, setting up a warehouse in Carson, California, was that initial warehouse, which was about 40,000 square feet, um, and investing all that stock and the money and 
going to ISS and agenda trade shows. And it was good. The, customer, the American customer could see as soon as they touched the product, they could feel the quality. And But the thing I didn't know until we got there, were they willing to pay a little bit more for that quality product or are they, do they just want to pay what they've been paying? Do you know what I mean? Because we were a dollar mm-hmm. US at wholesale. Um, so whether they'd wanted to pay that extra difference to get that quality product to put their logo or brand on was always my big question. And that was a scary moment going. What happened at first? Yeah. What was that like? At the time, like you don't, you don't just turn up in America and everyone goes, Hey, right. It's like, I'm here. It's grafting. It's hard work. And the team, you know, that built, you know, Rick and the guys all in the office there, they've done the hard yards, you know, they built that business up and went out and met customers and, and chipped away. And eventually we sell more t-shirts and that, more people see it, they touch it. And I also think there's a change in the guard here. Like you've got a younger generation coming in that wants, that are now the owning the print shops, now are the marketing managers, are the brand managers, you know, they're starting their own clothing companies. They want a higher quality product. They don't want these lightweight T-shirts that you stretch and you can see through the middle of them, you know. They want, they take pride in their brand and they want to print something on a high quality garment that lasts and, as a representation of what they stand for. So that's kind of what, out. when do you feel like it really took off in the States? Like, so what year did you come to this? What year did AS color come uh, to the States? I don't, I don't think there's like, you suddenly just, it went, it's just a gradual progression and growing, you know, it's like every year we're growing, you know, at say 40 to 50%. And so we're, we're just growing and it's just, that's exponential. So when you do that every year, um, that, eventually relates to a lot of volume. Um, uh, we're still bigger in Australia than the US, so um, that's our biggest market. Do, so, you, do, you, do you think the US is going to overtake Australia? Uh, yeah, definitely. And then what, now we've got this North Carolina warehouse coming and we can service the East Coast customers. That's That'll be the game changer because it takes a long time to get orders from you know California and it's expensive. So I think going will be freight free out of from October this year will be more. So I have a question more like, okay, I go back to this small business to big business thing. Cause a lot of us are, you know, we're scaling our company, you know, there's investors in there, all this kind of stuff. When did you realize that you weren't capable of doing it all? Or maybe you are still capable of doing it all. Like when did you start to make your first, like the CFO or the VP of sales or the director of marketing, like the really big hires, when was that for you? Did you make them too late? Um, cause like, I just, I just see like 30% growth year over year warehouses across the country. You must have an amazing team around you. And, and that's very hard for a small business owner to do is to let go. Right. When was that for you? What were those first couple of hires? You've got to get some key people around you and people that you trust and also, and get, like give them the tools to trust them to go. And like when we went into Australia, we set up a team and they went over there and got it all going and. And especially once you get into multiple countries, you, you've really got to build, the, get the right people that you trust and get them to give them the tools they need. Like I see my role as providing what they need to get their job done, you know, whether that's warehousing, infrastructure, the right stock, the right products, the right designs. And that's my goal is to make sure they've got the tools to succeed in each of their, each of their departments. Um, but it was, I mean, the, probably the first step was, when my production manager started, I used to design the t-shirts myself, but I was terrible at it. I was working out mathematics of spec sheets. And so I learned pretty quickly. I needed to hire someone with a tailoring skill to design good products. So, um, yeah, that kind of was one of probably my first really important hire was that. And, and that person still works with me today. So, and we've been working together for like for 13, 14 years now. So. What does that country expansion team look like? Is it like a, a like a general manager type role? It's basically a general manager of the country and then uh-huh. a sales team and then logistics. But then all the head office functions are all done out of New Zealand so from product design, marketing, finance. We all do that out of New Zealand. How do, you, how do you financially support and finance responsibly when you're scaling something that quick? I think you've got to control your business. And I, like, yeah, growth at all costs is not a good 
business model. We're, um, we're thinking the same, by the way, Steve, because I'm thinking like, okay, I'm, I'm just running like rough numbers. Man. So warehouses, 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 new team, new team, you know, every new country is probably a big investment and then stock, right? So it's like new style. I mean, you guys have dog bowls now, you got like really cool promo fun products and then you've got like just the general. The little branded products we've done, we just designed those because we, we kind of thought of cool things the screen printers could have in their showrooms. Like yeah. a lot of them have got dogs, a lot of them have got the basketball hoops been real popular. I've seen lots of videos of people shooting hoops in their print shops and stuff. So we just designed some cool things for branding that we thought would be cool for the, the screen print industry for all our customers. So um, yeah, this business is capital intensive. So you've everything we're, you know, the, the, the key thing was I invested back into the company and, you know, whatever we made just went back into new products or new styles or new t-shirts. And so you know, I, I wasn't drawing lots of money out of the business. The business was just, it was like a hungry monster that needed to be fed. And so you fed it with, you just keep investing into new products, into new products. And we, and you got to make the right decisions. Like we looked at the US three years earlier and we decided at the time because of the growth in Australia, we held back from doing that. And so you got to make those kind of decisions, you know, don't, don't, I wouldn't make a decision that would tip the entire business over. You know, if, my decision when I went into the US, if it didn't work, I could have brought that stock back to Australia. I knew I could sell it. So you've got to make calculated risks. Not You've got to take some risks, but don't make reckless risks and grow your business at all, you know, recklessly. It's a really wise thing, I think. Did, did you have a couple, do you have a couple, like, key finance people early on that you just, like, leaned on to, like, or Modeling were you pretty good at it? all that stuff. Were you pretty yeah, good at it yourself? Yeah, I kind of come from a, I come from a BCom, uh, Bachelor of Commerce marketing background. So, um, but I had some key people around me that really helped me with those the cash flow. Um, I still, to this day, oversee the stock purchasing and making sure the purchasing model is correct because that's what's consuming all our working capital is the inventory and making mm-hmm. sure the inventory is placed into the right products and we've got the right volumes and not running out and not overstocking as well. So that's the balancing act because the thing that chews cash flow in our business is inventory. So. That, that, that's interesting that, okay, even you as like the co-founder and, and, and leader of the entire company, that's still the one, like, obviously everything's in control of you, but you're like, I really oversee that. Um, I think that's interesting because there are different parts of every single person's business that the owners need to be super conscious about and like, don't let anyone else touch it. Bruce, what, what was it for you guys at Printavo when you were scaling? Like, what was the one thing you're like, this is mine, no matter what, this is what I do. Um, I would say product for a long time, um, of just being super close to the customers and, you know, like you say, Lawrence, um, and just making sure that we're building the right stuff and then also hiring. So, you know, we're still a small team of 30. So I figured one person in there that was like a crappy personality or just an ego or something was so detrimental to the culture and the vibe that, uh, I was too, you know, very deep into it and then probably got b- more burnt out on it, you know, with like phone screens and, uh, and everything. I was just like, oof, that's a lot. <laughs> Lawrence, now, now that you guys have really like, you've made a name for yourself in the States, I think amongst screen printers, people know like, wow, the quality is really good. Have you ever thought to then get into distribution now? Like, or to, to connect to distributors is that is there a, or is there something in your guys's ethos that's like we will not do that? Uh, we, we have one small distributor in San Francisco which we partnered with when we started, and they've been really good. Um, but the, I think the problem with the big distributors is that we just get lost inside the machine. You know, we're just another t-shirt company. Among, I still want to have that relationship with the customer and champion our brand. And we've actually become really good at distribution. That's one thing we're really strong in. Like we people really we've become experts like we've put in we just invested a lot of money in a 22,000 tote multi-shuttle system in New Zealand which is like a giant Tetris machine which brings down all your totes to a picker there's no walking in aisles so we can dispatch orders very wow. quickly to well like a robot that grabs it off the shelf and yeah, like it's, kind of, it's probably the first of its kind um, in the t-shirt industry um, but yeah it's, it's done by an established global logistics company called Dematic but um, yeah, basically, we we I think we can dispatch our products quicker than the distributors can, and we can get them to the market very quickly. Um, I'm really excited about the North Carolina warehouse because that gives us 
shipping within two days to all the East Coast customers where at the moment we're five to seven days, that's too long for someone that needs an urgent order. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And I think that will be the, that's probably the most exciting thing in the last 10 years, I think, that as Color is getting this East Coast distribution center ready. You talk about learning distribution, right? I'm sure very different than learning to make a really quality garment, right? Do you bring in, when you start getting in there, was that just all self-learning or do, do, do you bring in really smart consultants? I with the logistics, I brought in a consultant, which actually was really good to learn from. Learn from experts is a good motto, I think. Like, mm-hmm. And you can bring working with people that know a lot about the expertise and then learn. I suppose I kind of could pick up pretty quickly from them what they were doing and the logic they were applying. Like when I first looked at our first warehouse, I never looked at the floors. Like on a warehouse, when you're racking – you know, 16 meters high and your um, the turret truck sits that far off the rack, the tolerance in your floor has to be perfect. So, you know, you need you have to be down to the micromillimeter in the, in the surface of a concrete floor. So I, when I look back at 2005, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. Now I know, you know, because we're, we're going to what you call narrow aisle warehouses, which, you know, operate on a smaller footprint, but we can store 30% more storage in these warehouses, reducing our footprint you know, environmentally and on the, you know, we don't need as big a shed to run, hold more inventory to our customers, but the floor needs to be perfect to do that. So all these huh. little things along the way, you know, we learned, I learned that from dealing with consultants and designers and engineers and architects, all these little things. Lawrence, did you ever acquire any businesses along the way that were really good at a specific thing that helped you get there? Or like Bruce and I always argue about growth by acquisition. Like maybe it's just easier to buy them if they're close by and then, you know, utilize like the resources that are there. Did you guys ever come across that where you're like, ooh, that's a company that we could definitely use. We're just going to buy it. Or was it all just like talking to experts and learning? I think more just talking to experts and learning and learning by just trying and, you know, doing it and taking a risk. Um, I, th- I suppose for us, we kind of, we were after that high quality part of the market. So there wasn't really anyone for us to acquire. So um, so we basically, we'd rather invest that money ourselves into new products in our own warehouses and our own distribution than acquiring another business. It didn't make sense. So, yeah. Across your journey, can you, do you remember a time where maybe you screwed up a bigger decision and like, you know, and, just what happened? Because, you know, we, I, I think like as an owner, you tend to forget about it, but it's interesting thinking about it and like, oh, wow, yeah. I mean, it's not a big deal now, but. I think you learn, you learn more from your mistakes than your wins because your wins, you kind of go, yeah, I'm not. if you just, if you won every time, you'd get just too arrogant and just think you're invincible, but you definitely need some kickbacks, you know, like, um, when I've ordered the wrong products or the purchasing model's been not quite right and we've overstocked on something and then I've got three years worth of stock of this striped singlet or something that I now have to wear for the next three years, you know, you learn, you learn, so the, you know, the hardest thing is these new products because we've got no data on them. So how much do we need? And so we bring in, you know, 2000 larges and then the customers come in and if they love it, they just take it all. But then they look at you, why don't you have more? So there's, you know, you've got to really, pay attention to the patterns and trends of products and get your forecasting right. And, but sometimes you get them wrong and then you're grossly overstocked and no well, one cares about How long is the lead time for that? Oh, well, basically it's usually five to six months from order placement. Oh so my gosh. Yeah. So that's, we've got, we've built clever software that helps us automate a lot of this ordering, but we're still working on it all the time and you see the ones you get wrong and they stick out and they frustrate you. Oh my gosh. You, you know? Wait, can we, yeah. can we take a pause for it? Fred, do you re- okay six months in advance with you know you're talking i mean some of your products have you know 10 or whatever colors uh you know eight sizes or whatever in between that i mean you're talking like an exponential just this shape if you're listening to the audio it's just like a large shape right and then different warehouses which is like a fourth dimension um like how, how do you approach, I mean, sure you've got some standard stuff and now you've got some data on that, but how do you start to approach some of those stock prediction, color prediction, you know, and, and balance the lead time and everything with that? Um, well, if it's a new product, no one knows about it. So that's not so bad because they haven't yeah. seen it yet. So, yeah. but you kind of got to look at what's the most similar thing to it and use that kind of analysis. Um, it is, it is kind of, 
it is kind of calculated gambling because you kind of <laughs> you kind of just you but you've got to take that initial investment and risk to get like we're developing like some workwear products and some activewear products that are in the pipeline so they're totally new categories we don't really know how they're going to go but we back ourselves that we'll do a good job in them and we'll take the time to get the sampling right and the quality right and we feel there's a market for it so when we fit it, feel it fits into our brand so um, as long as it ticks all those boxes and it takes time like when we did hats the US customers didn't really like them at first but now we sell a lot of hats like that's become a massive category for us but it took us three years of chipping away at it and refining the product and getting it right like the initial caps we brought into the US they just weren't quite right and so we went back again and not giving up and just keep trying you know like you won't always get things right the first time you try something but don't let that you know don't give up keep pushing forward keep developing the product make it better and and so you kind of learn from those mistakes I feel and that's what makes you better in the long run it just seems so. like a hard mistake you know, like if the hats take three years to really get right, like like yeah, what happens to the first version? Is it can well, it sell think, on sale? I don't, I don't think any company became the expert in the first twelve months. It took ten but years. But inventory, like I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm thinking about it from software. Like, all right, shoot, I, I didn't build that. Let me go back and build that. Right, but uh, you know. Like, do you sit on inventory then? Like, what do you do? Like, does it go through the sale process and that can get rid of most uh, of it? Could... It just takes longer to sell, which is frustrating, but it eventually oh, okay. sells. Yeah. So it's the beauty of it is that it's blank apparel. It's not like the season's trend of what's hot in America. So it's kind of, it's a blank hat or a blank t-shirt. The t-shirts are very easy to move because the t-shirts, there's always a market for them. But when you go into different products like jackets or shirts or pants, they can be a bit more risky. So Lawrence, have you had to bring in any other like owners or anything into the business besides yourself since starting it? Like what's, what, what does that look like at a, at a, at a big scale? Like you, you all are at. Yeah. So I brought on a, about five years ago, I brought on a New Zealand private investor. So they, they own about 28% of the business. So I brought them on, um, to bring in a, probably bring in someone else to be part of the journey than just, and I spent a long time choosing the right person. It wasn't, and to, the, the company I chose has got a long history in New Zealand and um, and a really good track record. And it's really good because we've now got a board and we've got, you know, a structure. The business got too big to be just built around me. And so there's more of a, you know, and that becomes a risk because if something happens to me, there's no structure. Um, so now there's a board of directors um, and they're really useful. And they are, they investors in other business, so you can leverage off their ideas. What's happening in other companies? You know, how do they deal with the situation? How do they deal with these scenarios? So you've got someone as a, and I suppose as an owner by yourself, you're always second guessing yourself. Is going into the US the right market, or going into Germany, or wherever you want to go next? And so you, you're in this journey by yourself a little bit. So it's a, and it can be a bit of a lonely ride. So I thought it was time to bring in someone that I could trust and partner with. And so that's been a really good, we've worked really well together. And um, I talk to them probably two or three times a week about what we're doing and what we're up to and bounce ideas off them. So that's been and, a really. Was that, so like just a little backstory, we recently did a little bit of that. Um, and, and the reason, you know, obviously there's new, new opportunities, but it was like the start of an exit strategy, right? Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think about that often? Yeah, you know, I think long term, what do I want to do? Like, I love this business. I really, you know, I, this is not a business I started to just build up and sell. This is like, this is a business I'm super passionate about. I love this. I love product. I love, I love the industry. Um, and I love seeing people wearing our product and loving it and the quality. So it's not a thing that I built to just make money. It's a thing I, you know, I've got no, I know nothing thinks let's sell this and start some other thing. I don't want to do that. I really want to take AS Color to its full potential and see where it goes and it's a journey. So I'm excited about that journey. But from an exit strategy, bringing on another partner, I would say probably means you start running the business in a structure. So if you ever wanted to, you've got the systems in place, like a board in place, some advisors. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the smart, that's the, the good thing about, I would say to someone bringing in someone externally, it starts to build a structure because you've got to start kind of reporting to them, communicating, then it just being a sole trader, just running around doing what they want to do. So it brings in a certain discipline. You know, uh, this is, this randomly popped in my head because it was what we were talking about before about focusing on customers. Um, there's this interview with 
Jeff Bezos of his like early days with uh, the Axios uh, magazine. And basically he was talking about how he felt one of the big differentiators for them was that they were so obsessed with the customers when so many companies, especially as they really grow, become more self-servant. So it's like a balance between, uh, you know, growing the company and, and making it as profitable as possible and everything, and then also serving the customer. And that's a tough balance, especially as a company gets larger, there could be other partners, whatever. Um, and he said, uh, no matter what, like as companies start to look at other competitors, you get too focused on that. And, what we felt we did long, long term was stay long on the customer. And so what, what did they want? They wanted things fast. Uh, what were the things that, what are things that we felt that we could serve the business that will never change? You know, they want things fast. They want things for a good price. Um, you know, and just be able to keep, uh, uh, uh and then started to get into the, some of the service stuff, but it was interesting just hearing that and, and sticking to that, you know, long term. Um, what, Lawrence, what's like a sense of the scale that AS Color is at today? Like it could be people, shirts you're shipping, things like that. Uh, it's a decent amount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, how how many employees? You see, like I can't see how, I mean, I don't know how many T-shirts Ballot Canvas ships a day. I'd say it's a lot, but, you know, all the different suppliers. But um, I suppose that's the one benefit of being a private company. We kind of don't really communicate that too much, but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a decent amount of t-shirts and it'll, it'll become more and more in the U S as we grow and, and get more customers on board. Cause I know there's still lots of customers in the U S that have never heard of us or still seen us or seen our product, you know? Um, I know how many t-shirts we sell in Australia and how many Australians there are and New Zealand. And it's a lot of t-shirts. So gotcha for shops yeah. that haven't ordered from you all before, are, are there any sales reps or do you just go direct to the website and set up a wholesale account? Yeah, um, we're looking, we're just, we're looking to hire an East coast rep. Now we've only had really one full-time sales rep at the moment. Um, we're looking to hire two more. So, um, <laughs> but, but for the most part, most, most people just order online. Yeah. Just order online. I'll go to the website and sign up and contact customer services and we'll assess your pricing needs. What kind of, you know, price structure we'll put you on. We have different tiers based on what kind of volume in your industry. I, I think that's super interesting. Or it's like you know, a lot of these other companies have a significant amount of reps, and it's like instead of having a bunch of reps, it's like have a really clean website, have a really great product, make ordering super simple, and that's set up for at least my generation's um, success for 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 buying. I don't know, Bruce. Do you see this tran- transition from from other distributors and vendors of like less about sales reps and more about tech? I think it's. I think it maybe is a tech, but it's also that like product side. I mean, what I find fascinating about your story, Lawrence, is the, really the focus not on price, and it's like almost wanting to be the. I don't want to say the most expensive in the room for wholesale. I don't know the facts, but it, you know, one of the more expensive items that focuses on quality, which is like when you turn those types of things on its head, I mean, that's pretty anti, like, I mean, the wholesale, you're right. It's just like, how do we make the lowest price, like, you know, best. And then we do the regular stuff, but, um, to go through that path is pretty incredible. I think maybe in the t-shirt industry it is, but if you look at companies like Apple, they make a really expensive cell phone. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a phone. Like you can get a lot cheaper phones that do the same thing, but you look at Apple, they're the most valuable company in the world and they probably made most of their money out of those iPhones, you know, and you can get a really cheap phone that does pretty much the same thing, but they have convinced you that, they've got a better product the way they position it, the way they market it, the way they present it, you know, and that's kind of my philosophy with the teaching industry. It should be presented extremely well from every, everything you touch with us from the packaging to the branding, to the website, to the neck label, to the quality of the fabric and how it prints on every touch point of the brand must, you know, be of the highest quality if that's what our position is. And that's what we try to do. Love it. What's next? Yeah. What's next for AS? Uh, just keep building good products we love and and really we're focused on these two new warehouses, one and a bigger warehouse in England um, and really getting this East Coast warehouse in the US. We upgraded the New Zealand warehouse. We built a big new warehouse about two years ago and we 
built another one in Australia a year and a half ago. So we're really focused on the, you know, the East Coast market and servicing our US customers and really and getting out there and teaching them about AS Color and the product and the brand. We're, we're early stages in the US, really. We're still a small company comparative to what these other companies in the US. I, I think there might be something about New Zealand companies coming to the States. Uh, Bruce and I are good friends with Rum from Supercolor and Mike, uh, who, yeah, yeah. who brought in. Yeah. He's one and, of my customers, Mike. He's one of, used to own a, you know. Yeah, yeah. but there's yeah. an obsession with quality. Um, like, it, yeah. like there's, an, there's an obsession with quality and it's not about being, being the cheapest and having really, really great customer service. And so, um, you guys are two for two in the, sp- in, in, in the industry. So we'll yeah. see what, we'll see what's coming next. Yeah, maybe um, it's coming from a small country. We just have to, you know, we have to operate like that. We we don't have the luxury of a big domestic market, so we have to operate a certain way to succeed in our market. So, and then we've applied that same thing coming to yeah. other markets. Are Are you going to be in Long Beach this year? Yeah, trying to get up there. I was just looking at the trade show layout uh, yesterday, actually. So sweet. Um, yeah, because we haven't done, we didn't do the last two shows because of COVID. So it'd be good to be back there. So it's always great going there, seeing all the printing technology, you know, the, you know, what all the digital printers are up to and all the screen printing industry. So it's always a great show to go to. Do, do you think you guys are designing AS Color to be ready for digital printing or better for digital? Because like it does DTG very well. Is that just Yeah, a, I think it's just a, it's a byproduct something. of just designing a good t-shirt, to be honest. Like if you're using a really crunchy, comb, carded cotton t-shirt compared to a really fine knitted um you know, with a really good surface, we recall it the fit fabric finish. You know, the fit's really important. Um, the fabric, the quality of the fabric, how it washes, and then the finish of the fabric is the other thing that's really important. And that's what gives it that. That's what the screen printers love when they print on our t-shirts. It makes their work look better, and that's what they love seeing. You know, that super high quality finish, especially for digital printers. You don't need to put down as much ink. You can, you know, which digital printing, you know, is expensive with the ink cost. So. If you can put down less white base, that makes a better product. So we didn't say, hey, we're trying to make a digital T-shirt. We were just making a good T-shirt. It just happens that a good T-shirt prints better. All right, Lawrence. We'll see you at Long Beach then, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, awesome. It'd be great to finally – we've been locked down here in little New Zealand for two years, hiding from the world with COVID. So it's going to be good to get back out and see get back up to North America and see everybody and get back up and, you know, really get – spread the word of what AS Color, and I really appreciate you guys coming and talking today. It's been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lawrence, we appreciate you, your time. This is the founder of AS Color, founder, and do you go like other titles, CEO, president? Uh, uh, Larry, everyone calls me Larry. Appreciate it. Thanks guys so much for listening to the Print Tavo Printouts Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode.